The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. This is John Breach, and that's because I have kicked Will Brinson to the curb for today's episode in the next part of our All 32 series, which will be giving you two pods today here on June 9th. One of those podcasts will be an NFC North team. You will have to check your uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts to find out which team. It's a mystery team. That's the fun of this. And the other one is the one I am hosting right now, an AFC North team. Uh, and to be clear, Brinson has a day off because the AFC North team is the Bengals, and no one wants to hear him spend an entire podcast talk about how Andy Dalton never won a playoff game. So you have me, and with that in mind, I brought someone way better to talk Bengals football, and that someone is my dad, uh, Jim Breach. With Father's Day right around the corner, he made the most sense, and he also made the most sense because he's the Bengals' all-time leading scorer. I'm sure most of the listeners know that, but a few of you uh, might not. Might be wondering why we always make these Jim Breach references randomly on the podcast. Uh, my dad still lives in Cincinnati. He follows the team closely, so he is a great person to talk to for this. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing great, John. It's great to be on today. Uh, excited. Uh, you know, Hopefully, we'll be able to play a little golf on Father's Day as we do every year uh, when we when we can get all the boys together, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, I love talking Bengals football. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned Father's Day because the, the weird thing is most of everyone knows we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I haven't really seen my dad. And also I just had a kid in April. I have a baby. So he has a new granddaughter. He hasn't even met because we still have, uh, you know, this pandemic situation to figure out. So sorry, dad. You just have to deal with pictures because that's perfect all we timing have though. Perfect timing for Father's Day to get it. You get her a few months before Father's Day. You get to practice a little bit. It's looking good, huh? Uh, I mean, so far, I'm not getting any sleep. You didn't warn me about the sleep. No <laughs> sleep. Can you see the bags in my eyes? It's getting, it's getting ugly. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's jump right into the Bengals and, and we're going to go with, you know, they've had a few major headlines this offseason and let's start out before the draft. Let's start with Andy Dalton. They got rid of Andy Dalton. How did you feel about the way they handled this situation. They ended up cutting him. You know, obviously there wasn't much of a trade market for him. Uh, you know, but what were your thoughts on just seeing him leave after nine years and, and then how it ended? Cause it didn't seem like Dalton was thrilled that the Bengals held on to him as long as they did. Well, I think there's a couple of things. You go back to midseason last year where, when they obviously were struggling and people wanted them to, to move him at midseason. And I, I, a couple of thoughts on that were that. One, you, you get a quarterback going to another team trying to pick up a system midway through the year. That's really difficult. And two, the Bengals, he was their insurance policy. You know, they weren't going to, they weren't going to send him anywhere because Ryan Finley obviously struggled in those three games. They were able to bring Dalton back and he was able to lead him to two victories, uh, by the end of the season. But it, uh, from the very get go, when they realized what was well, everybody knew what was going to happen with Joe Burrow, so there was no doubt that they were going to be drafting him early on. They they told Andy that they'd try and trade him to into a team, hopefully that would be a contender. Uh, but because of what he was owed financially, there was just going to be nobody out there. I mean, why would you do it? Just wait until he gets released, right? Like he like they did, and uh, I felt bad for him because they waited so long. Uh, you know, Cam Newton kind of was in the same boat. They waited a long time and I'm sure they were trying to trade him all along, but there just wasn't any market for him. And, and so he gets to go home. He gets to go home in uh, to Dallas. I, I think from, it worked out really well for him from that standpoint. And we'll see, we'll see beyond that, uh, how it works out there. And if he gets a chance to play, Prescott's been, you know, he never gets hurt. So, and Andy didn't get hurt a lot either. So it's he may end up spending a lot of time on the bench, but at least he gets to do it back home. Yeah, and for a team that 
uh, might go to the playoffs. And, you know, maybe Dak Prescott refuses to sign his franchise tag, and all of a sudden Andy Dalton is a starter for the Cowboys. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I'm just stirring the pot. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. He's going to turn down $31 million, right? <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's, uh, seems like he but wants more than that. Think about this. They could go to the playoffs, win a game, and Andy could be on a winning playoff team, whether he plays or not. And maybe they put him in the game. He could say that Andy Dalton was in a winning playoff game. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope he's a phenomenal guy. He and his family are unbelievable, done so much for the Cincinnati community. I wish him well. I hope he does get a chance to play and, and do some great things. I, I think he's really, really a really good player, and uh, crazy things happened. You know, it just didn't work out for him here. Yeah, I think Dalton's dream scenario at this point is Cowboys, Bengals, Super Bowl, Dak gets hurt in the NFC title game, and it's Andy Dalton versus the Bengals uh, in Super Bowl 55. But, you know, that that's just – that's maybe that's my personal dream. That's not Dalton's dream. Um, but, yeah, and you mentioned – trading him during the midseason, how the Bengals kept him on as an insurance policy. And I would have liked to have seen him get a done a deal done in October. I feel like that's when his value was the highest. And at that point, you know, the season was over. I think they were 0-8 at the, by the time the trade deadline rolled around. And I know that they did not want to go 0-16. That feels like they put – that is why they put Dalton back in is because, you know, the, the, the ownership group is – they're proud. They're, you know, the Browns are proud people, and they did not want to see – have that egg on their face of 0-16. You, and, you don't uh, want to be a trivia answer, right? Along with the Lions and the and the uh, Browns. Exactly. You can't have uh, the whole state of Ohio going winless in, in two of the past th- four seasons. Uh, so, yeah, so Dalton gone. Let's move on to the the big one. Let's go to the draft before we hit free agency. We'll tie all these quarterbacks together. Joe Burrow. I mean, this this it feels like this is the savior of Cincinnati. I, you know, it, it's hard. Fans in Cincinnati are fickle. I know everywhere – Fans are way more excited when the team's winning. But even with the last couple of playoff appearances, enthusiasm with the team kept going down because, you know, you lose three in a row. People were still high. And then that fourth one, fifth one, it starts to wear on the fans. And they started uh, – excitement was waning. And then you just had three straight losing seasons or six, four straight losing seasons. So it, it's really feels like it's hit rock bottom. But it feels like Joe Burrow is the guy that is coming in there. And, and all of a sudden – you know, you're in Cincinnati. It feels like excitement's everywhere now. Like he's single-handedly bringing this back. He really is. It really is interesting. There's a, there is an excitement around the team, and and then the other part of it, they spent a lot of money in free agency, which they had never done. So on top of drafting Joe Burrow and the money spent there, there's a lot of excitement with the Bengals, and it's 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 fun. And you consider from the standpoint when Andy Dalton and AJ Green were drafted. They were kind of in the same boat. I mean, they were Bengals were terrible. They had the third, second, or third, or fourth pick in the draft that year, and they took them to the playoffs. When I think ESPN somebody predicted they were going to go 0 and 16. So this team is expected to even be better than the team was in 2011, and that uh, you know turned out pretty well in, in similar circumstance. So it's kind of interesting how this is all playing out. And at that time there was a lockout, so you have disruption to your preseason and yet it worked out then and and right now it seems to be everything I've heard about Burrow is they're they're excited and they're really impressed by the way he's taking over meetings and and how quickly he learns he's already understanding protections the guy's ahead of the game and it's kind of exciting to see it's different right it's exciting uh and we'll see where it heads yeah I think it's really crazy when you think about uh the similarities between 2011 and the 2020 offseason like you mentioned there was a lockout in 2010 the Bengals kind of hit rock bottom they cratered they went four and 12 that was the first time Marvin Lewis was thinking about leaving they convinced him to come that was when the Carson Palmer stuff went nuts because he said he wasn't going to play ever he would rather retire than take make 15 million dollars from the Bengals and people thought you know what once the lockout's over Carson Palmer will probably show up he'll, he'll rethink this he wants his paycheck but they drafted Dalton anyway. Dalton didn't get an offseason. And like you said, someone predicted they would go 0-16. And then, you know, Dalton was a rookie quarterback. A.J. Green, rookie wide receiver, kind of the Joe Burrow, T. Higgins dynamic right there. And in 2011, they went 9-7 and 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 made the playoffs. They had zero expectations going into the year. And I don't want to say this team has zero expectations because I think the expectations are a little bit higher. No one is going to be predicting the 2020 Bengals go 0-16. Uh, but you do have... 
this, you know, there is no off season here, but this is Joe Burrow's taking over to talent the team. You know, they lost, uh, I think they, they lost the most one score games in NFL history last year without winning a single one. They went 0 and 8. That was the most anyone's ever lost without winning one. Uh, and so it tells you they do have the talent to stay in games. And, and you know, you played while there were strikes going on. So, you know, what's it like to not have, not be around your team, but still kind of have to stay in football shape and be ready to go at any point. Well, that probably, uh, our 82 strike, we would get together, uh, try and get together as much as we could as a team. Uh, 87, not so much. It was replacement players. It was, that was a different feeling. So you did whatever you could. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, you, you gotta be resilient, right? You gotta, you kind of got to go with the flow and, uh, Back in, the, in 2011, they were able to do that. And actually, at that time, they even had a, a new coordinator. So they were bringing in a new offense with a new quarterback and a new wide receiver. At least this one, they have an offense that's been in place for a year. What they did have was a pretty good defense. Mike Zimmer-led defense was good, and that gave them some stability on that side of the ball. And I'm hopeful with all these draft, with all these free agents they brought in that they can build a better defense, one that played more like it did at the end of last season. You know, it's interesting. They didn't have Jonah Williams either. Their first pick from the previous season. So really it's like they got two first round picks here. So, you know, from that standpoint, AJ being out and, and some of the things people are, uh, you know, is he going to be healthy? Well, he was, he was doing stuff. He, I, I, I was talking to Dave Lapham. He talked about at the end of the season, they would always have AJ go out and, and do some workouts. They said the work, I think it was the second to last game or something. His workout was unbelievable. He said, watching him, he said the guy could have gone, but it was so late in the year they didn't want to, you know, even question it, you know, throw it out there. Why should he even be playing now? But as far as whether he was healthy, if he comes in like that, he doesn't step on Drake or Patrick foot or do something crazy in the in training camp, I expect him to have a really good year. Well, what do you think of the whole A.J. Green contract situation? Because I think that is – part of this right now is that, you know, they hit him with the franchise tag. Do you think he's going to sign an extension or do you think that uh, he's, the Bengals are going to say, you know what, you, you got this injury history. Let's, let's see what you do on this one year tag. And uh, you know, we'll talk to you next year. Well, that's pretty much what they're doing. They're doing the one year tag. And, and if it makes sense, I mean, I think most people out there, AJ's a smart guy. I'm sure he realized it from the standpoint that he's had so many injuries, it's hard to give a guy a long-term contract. So let's see what you do. And then you got Joe, but you have Joe Mixon too that's up soon. He wants to get paid. And then you got John Ross on the last year of his contract. What if, with all this stuff going on, what if he explodes like he's capable of doing and stays healthy, which he hasn't been able to do? You know, you got all these guys on offense potentially to want to get paid. You know, T. Higgins, bringing T. Higgins in, in the second round, might make that decision a little bit easier if he's able to play and do well. If they have to make a decision on whether it's AJ or jokes, I, I know they want AJ to finish his career in Cincinnati. Well, I'm sure the 49ers wanted Jerry Rice to finish his career in Cincinnati or the Green Bay Packers wanted Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, but sometimes, or even Joe Montana in, in San Francisco, sometimes it doesn't work out. Hopefully it does and it works out well. It's working out for the Arizona Cardinals. However, um, I don't know. But AJ's got to show that he's healthy before any decisions are made. Yeah. We have a healthy season. How's that? And, and I think one interesting thing with AJ Green is I know he had talked maybe he wouldn't show up to off-season workouts uh, when they originally franchise tagged him. I think that's one of the things that because the pandemic, work it's, work it's, workouts, off-season workouts have been canceled, and so teams haven't had to worry about the blowback of – disgruntled players skipping OTAs because there's no OTA. So it's kind of worked out in the favor of a team like the Bengals who don't have to deal with this A.J. Green blowback if he had not shown up. We don't know if that would have happened. And, and, you know, since we're talking about A.J. Green and T. Higgins, John Ross, let's talk about a couple positional battles real quick. Uh, you know, and I think that's the biggest one. We were talking before the podcast about where what is going to be the spot to watch when the Bengals go to training camp. And it does feel like it's at wide receiver. You know, they just brought in. T. Higgins, they, they took him with a second round pick. That's, that comes with a lot of expectations. We don't know where AJ Green is because he's coming off the injury. Uh, and obviously Tyler Boyd had a huge year 
And then, like you said, John Ross, what if he comes out and, and, and has a fantastic training camp and looks good during the season? So what do you, how do you think the wide receiver spot's going to shake out? Well, and, excuse me, one guy you can't forget, or actually there's a couple, Auden Tate came out and just did, made some spectacular catches, had over 40 catches for 500 yards. Alex Erickson had over 500 yards receiving. So they really have a lot of depth at wide receiver. Uh, John Ross, to me, is an enigma. When he has played, well, for th- three games last year, he had a phenomenal three games. And that's pretty much been his whole career. So the guy has not been able to stay healthy. And I look back to the day he ran that 4-2-2-40 at the Combine, he pulled his hamstring and he ended up not being able to, and he hasn't been able to do anything since. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. So even last year, we had played in what, eight, nine or 10 games because he missed several because of injury. And not necessarily, you can't control all that, but it's been, some guys seem to be able to not avoid the injury bug. And so far that seems to be him. If he stays healthy, uh, I, I, you know, it's hard to say. Do you go AJ? Do you go John Ross? Uh, what do you do? You, you've got all this, this depth. How do you, you probably can't play everybody. So will T Higgins be spending some time on the sideline just because there's, you can't get out on the field. So they're going to have to come up with, they're going to have to come up ways to get guys involved and keep them all engaged. Cause sometimes I think if you're not getting the ball quick enough, uh, some guys, some wide receivers kind of lose interest. And then when they really need them, uh, they're not ready. So I don't know the, the wide receiver. It's going to be interesting, but it usually plays out guys. Somebody gets hurt along the way, or if everybody's healthy, it's just offense could be kind of fun. If the offensive line plays pretty well. Yeah. And I think one thing you mentioned was you know, that they had four guys go over 500 yards last season. I mean, compare that to a team like the Packers who, you know, we think of Aaron Rodgers going back there and being the gunslinger. The Packers had one wide receiver over 500 yards in 2019. That was Devontae Adams. Nobody else. The Bengals had four with John Ross, Alex Anders, Erickson, Auden Tate, Tyler Boyd, and obviously you throw A.J. Green in the mix. It does really feel like that, that the advantage of this is Zach Taylor is kind of do what he wants with the offense. If he, you know, if he wants to have three sets, you have enough guys, you want to have four wide receivers, you want to empty the backfield and put five <laughs> out there a few times, you have the talent to do that. There's not many teams that can put out, yeah. you know, five guys who have gone over 500 yards in their career and all uh, are relatively good receivers, assuming they're all healthy. So I think it's interesting. And you mentioned the offensive line, uh, you know, if, there, that, you, that think was, he, you think Aaron Rodgers would like to have any one of the four or five receivers the Bengals have on their roster? Yeah, I, that's a great way to look at it. I think if you said if you told Aaron Rodgers he could have the Bengals' third or fourth receiver from last season, I think he would take it in an instant. And so yeah. that is how much depth the Bengals have at receiver. And you mentioned a big part of this is going to, uh, you know, the Bengals' Achilles heel last year was the offensive line, and I think that they obviously. Tried to fix that during the offseason, uh, you know, but they just struggled. That is the fact of the matter. They, um, uh, they brought in, uh, Xavier Suafilo and, you know, he's probably going to be their starting right guard. But I think one spot that all the fans always want to talk about is Bobby Hart at right tackle. And I know they also signed Fred Johnson. Uh, you know, do you think Bobby Hart is the starter going into the season? Do you think Fred Johnson steals that spot? How do you think that shakes out? I think for whatever reason, the Bengals are much higher on their offensive line than everybody else seems to be. Last season for the first eight games, Joe Mixon could barely get to the line of scrimmage. They were trying to run that zone blocking scheme that many teams like to run and started in Cincinnati with Jim McNally back in the 80s. And when they changed up, became becoming more of a man blocking, do a lot of using some of their athleticism, pulling guys, getting out in space, all of a sudden, the offense took over in the second half, or the offensive line started to really open some holes, and Mixon had, was the second-leading rusher to Derrick Henry the second half of the season. So that that's a positive that they can build on. As far as Bobby Hart, they like him. They always talk very positively about him. Watching this Fred Johnson, he, he actually played left tackle. He played a game and a half. He started the last game against the, the Browns and played really well. So he's very highly thought of. He's a young guy. He's, he's mammoth, got long arms, big guy. 
He moves really well. So I think Bobby Hart's your starter. I would not be surprised if Fred Johnson ends up taking over that spot during the season. And the right guard position, you talked to Zofiel, they picked up in yeah, I think that's the expected starter there. He came from Dallas. It was a second-round pick with Houston. He's expected to start. Again, he's an athletic guy. He moves. And, you know, they're looking for guys that can move with some size. And, uh, you know, you got – and the good thing about Joe Burrow and I think – and Andy Dalton, any any good any good quarterback can compensate for an offensive line that struggles a little bit to protect the passer as they get the ball away quickly. Andy Dalton did that. And I think – Joe Burrow is certainly capable of that. And that's how Tom Brady would help his offensive line. That's how these guys help their offensive lines is they get rid of the ball quickly. You got a lot of guys, you can have a lot of guys running all over the field that have some ability. So, and you got a, a running back that gets out of the backfield, catches the ball like a line, like a wide receiver. And then you got some tight ends that are, are good. They're not great, but they're uh, probably not going to be the focus of, of the passing game anyway. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, you know, a big part of this, they get Jonah Williams back. Like that left tackle spot is huge. He missed the whole, his whole rookie season with a knee injury. Uh, and, and like that left side is pretty fortified with Michael Jordan at left guard. And, you know, the Bobby Hart situation is now they have that insurance policy. If he does struggle, you have Fred Johnson right there where I think depth was probably the biggest issue last year with the whole Cordy Glenn nonsense and, and, and obviously Jonah Williams injury that, you know, they, they it just eventually wore on them. And that line just, it wasn't great as it was. And if you don't right. have any depth on a bad line, it's just going to get worse. So now it's there and it does, I, you know, I understand why they're optimistic about what they have. And now we mentioned, uh, Xavier Suafilo and, and let's go back to free agency real quick. Cause we kind of went from Andy Dalton leading to the draft and, and skipped over free agency. The Bengals, look, the Bengals, when I go to Walmart, 10 years ago, what I love to do is go to that $2 DVD bin and just find all the $2 DVDs because that's all I could afford. And that really felt like the Bengals strategy and free agency for like the past <laughs> two decades. And this year they opened up the checkbook and they went out and they made some big moves. Uh, you know, DJ reader, I think was probably the biggest one in my book, but they, they really fortified the secondary. How did you feel about what they did in free agency? What did you think was the biggest move? Uh, you know, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think. This kind of goes, you have to go back to the 2015 draft because prior to that, the Bengals, and, the, and even today, the Bengals have the second or third most players they drafted still in the NFL, not necessarily with them. So they have done a pretty good job of drafting in the past. And prior to 2015, they were in a pretty good, because if you remember, they should have beaten the Steelers in the 2015 playoff game. Uh, they were really, and, and, and that was with Dalton having a broken thumb and out of the game. If he play, if he stays healthy, I think they probably win that game before they, it goes to the end. But 2015 draft, they take, uh, Obwehi and Fisher, one and two offensive linemen. And from then on, their drafts have struggled for whatever reason. It struggled. And now they've got four years in of that and they haven't gotten a lot out of their draft classes. And that's where some of these, this losing has occurred. Cause right prior to that, they were talked about as being one of the best organizations in football from their drafting, you know, all the way they had good depth and all of a sudden it started to fall apart to get to the point where they are today. So obviously Zach Taylor has, uh, Mike Brown, Katie, uh, Troy Blackburn's getting, he, he has their ear. Uh, and where I really saw that was, the money they spent on defense, they decided the defense because they, they almost turned over their whole defensive backfield and it, DJ reader, make him the highest paid defensive lineman or interior lineman. And that's huge. Uh, they decided they want to win. And I know Mike Brown would love to win a Super Bowl at some point in time and, and the city would love to see that. But, but that's where the excitement came in that the amount of money they spent there, where they spent the money there. When I look at the defense, Terrible tackling. It's unbelievable how bad they were. And they brought in guys that could tackle. And really, if you think about it, teams move the ball on even good defenses, but typically they tackle them right away. The ball's caught. They're tackled. They don't get chunks of yardage in the defense. Cooper Cooper Cup went for like 225 yards against the Bengals last year. There was nobody in the vicinity of him. So you and I, we all could have played defense that day. Yeah, that was because awesome. nobody was close to him anyway. So, <clears throat> excuse me, getting some guys that are in the right places, 
uh, bringing in Von Bell to play safety. Sean Williams is a good player. That solidifies the, that spot on the field, but it also frees up. You know, Von Bell was really good. It was really good at the, close to the line of scrimmage. So you could have three safeties on the field at the same time. And actually, that's what Sean Williams did a lot for the Bengals last year. He played close to the line of scrimmage. So it allows his flexibility. When you talk about Bill Belichick, I mean, they run different defense every week and they got different personnel. And he likes guys that do your job and, and can play multiple positions. And that's kind of what the Bengals are getting in place here. And you got <coughs> Sam Hubbard, who was a safety in high school. And so he can really move around. He can play multiple things. So you got a lot of guys that have a position versatility, which is going to allow them to do some different things on defense and then hopefully make it difficult on the offenses. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously DJ Reader, I think DJ Reader, I think the Bengals now have probably easily a top 10 defensive line in the NFL. And you could make the argument for top five with Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap. Uh, you mentioned Sam Hubbard and, and throwing DJ Reader in there. That is a very, very strong defensive line. Uh, and we didn't mention Trey Waynes or Mackenzie Alexander grabbing those two guys from the Vikings. You know, it's not like those guys are all pro corners, but they are better than what the Bengals had last season. It's, it's more depth. It, the secondary was a disaster last year. Or really, the linebackers were a disaster, uh, which kind of set the stage, made things difficult for the secondaries, really what happened. They, they certainly had problems being on the same page. And the one thing, you get the two guys from Minnesota and – Waynes and Alexander, they're coming from Mike Zimmer, coach defense. And if there's anything Mike Zimmer's about is your responsibility. Being, they didn't, under him, there were a lot of mistakes made. And so that's what they're trying to get. These guys that are really you know, very accountable when it comes to what their assignments are, everybody in the right place. And I think that's where you bring in a Von Bell who can kind of pull all that together for the secondary. And you got Josh Bynes they bring in as a linebacker, can do that. He he pretty much turned around the Ravens' defense last year when he came in, and their defense just turned it up a notch because all of a sudden they were stopping the run where they were struggling. So you get a guy at all levels that can control what's going on. You got Bynes there, linebacker. You got Josh. You know, you got Von Bell at the defensive backs in the safety position. I think you got all of a sudden now you've got some strengths at all positions. Guys doing what they're supposed to do. Not getting lost, not running sideways, running in the wrong position. You know, guys filling their, doing their job. And when guys do their job, then you have a chance to have a really solid defense. You don't have to have the most talent, just have the most cohesiveness. Yeah, absolutely. And again, with the Bengals free agency this year, fans are so conditioned to like check out for the first week and say, you know, I'll follow them two weeks in the free agency when they're signing players in the third wave. And all of a sudden you're getting these alerts on your phone, like the Bengals signed someone the first day. For, what is going on? This is, uh, it's the apocalypse. And sadly it was the apocalypse. So, uh, interesting, it, it, interesting thing on reader, which that blew me away was that he was almost in Denver and the Bengals pulled it out at the last minute. They took him away from De- Denver thought they had him signed. So wow. Figure that one out. I mean, not only that, you go Denver, who, you know, obviously it, it looks, it's a lot more positive situation than the Bengals that were in last year, but to take him from what, from Denver and to get him here and he's, and he's excited about what's going on. So it's, it's a fun, it, it really is fun right now thinking about the Bengals. It's kind of a weird dynamic with nobody being able to really know what's going on with the pandemic. Nobody's there and. You don't even know what you're, if you're, there are going to be games to go watch or you can just go watch on TV or there even be games at all. So all that is, uh, throws, it's just a lot of questions that make, you know, make it kind of fun. Yeah. Which is not a word that Bengals fans have been using <laughs> a lot over the past four years. Now, one other thing that happened this offseason, I think that it, it kind of got blown over just because of everything that's happened is, you know, Sam Weish died. This is Sam Weish led the Bengals to Super Bowl 23. He was the coach there, uh, from 84 to 91. And, uh, you know, one of the most innovative minds in NFL history. He is the man who brought the no huddle offense to the NFL. He's the man who gave his, uh, assistant coaches the freedom to kind of be as creative as possible. My dad mentioned that, uh, Jim McNally introduced the, the zone running scheme to the NFL, something that is just everywhere today. Uh, we had Dick, and the yeah, zone, 
Dick Dick LeBeau brought the zone blitz to the NFL uh, while working as the Bengals defensive coordinator under Sam White. So that was a team that, that really kind of set the foundation for the modern NFL that we see today. And that was because of Sam Weish. Uh, you know, obviously you played for him every season that he was a coach in Cincinnati. So just tell me a little about, you know, your memories of that and, and what kind of guy he was. Sam was a great guy, great guy, uh, funny, very smart. He was a magician. He actually t- uh, taught Lou Holtz how to do magic. Cause he, so when he go out and speak and, so Sam was a unique guy and uh, <clears throat> unbelievable. He loved Paul Brown and he wanted to be innovative. So well, he learned from Paul Brown and Bill Walsh. So those two were two of the most innovative guys that have ever been around the NFL. So he wanted to be that guy. And, uh, you know, if you watch teams now when there's a timeout called, and the whole team comes over and talks to the coach. That was Sam. Because prior to that, all of it was one guy. The captain went over and talked to the coach. He would come back and relay it. Sam brought the whole the whole offense together. So it all was first person. You didn't hear it from the second person. If you ever watch teams that put their benches in a V on the sidelines, that was Sam Weich. Feeling that if I'm standing in the middle of this V, everybody's equidistance from me. If we had a straight line, the guys at the end may not be able to hear me, particularly if you're in a loud stadium. So he was really innovative that way, and then certainly the no huddle. And that really came about uh, more so to keep teams off the field uh, from changing. So we wanted to change our <clears> – <throat> if we wanted our personnel on the field on a third down, we had certain personnel that we like to leave on the field, and they want to bring in you know, their, their nickel guy or whatever. So they would do – they called the sugar, sugar huddle. They should – They'd huddle close to the line of scrimmage or stand there and just wait and see what's going on. If they were running guys down and off, they'd run the, they'd run a play really quickly and always catch, you know, get the five yards. And that was kind of how the no huddle started. And it evolved from there that season to the point where we used it more often. And then Buffalo took it to the K gun with Jim Kelly and took it to four straight Super Bowls. But it was so different at the time that the league tried to have Sam not they, – they were going to were gonna ban it. They tried to they, outlaw it. the AFC championship yeah. game, they were going to ban our no huddle because uh, the coach in Buffalo, uh, Marv, Levy. Marv, Bra- Marv Levy, was making such a stink about it that he would say it was unfair, you don't get a chance to get lined up, and blah, 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 blah. And to the point where they – Paul Brown got involved. Uh, Bob Trumpy heard about it, called Sam, gave him a heads up that this was happening. And there was such a stink made about it that they didn't, they didn't do it. And, you know, the rest is history. You know, we were able to take it to the Super Bowl. And, you know, just uh, Sam was an interesting guy. And, you know, he would get kind of going sideways at times. I remember our 90, 91 season, we were having a poor year. It turned out to be his last year. And he comes in one day and he throws he throws a newspaper down back in the days of newspapers. He goes, can you believe what they're writing about us? And then he says, and then Andy Furman, on, can you believe what he's saying on radio and TV? Don't even watch TV because they're just ripping us. So he's sitting there. He's in front of this meeting. Like, guys, I don't want you. You pay no attention to the media. None. I don't want you guys looking at anything, seeing anything, listening to anything. Okay, coach. <laughs> he comes in the next day. He's got a newspaper. He fires it down on the table. He goes, did you, you know, what? can you imagine what Andy Furman saying? Did you see what they wrote about us? We're all kind of looking like, coach, you told us not to read or listen to that stuff. <laughs> oh, that's right. I did, didn't I? <laughs> Sam was interesting. He was, um, you know, he thought it was unfair to have women in the locker room. It didn't feel right. It wasn't right to have women in the locker room. So we go to Seattle for a Monday night game, and he this this lady reporter was there. He ends up having her go outside, and he, he and Boomer. She, he says, "Who do you want to talk to?" You know, obviously you want to talk to Boomer. So I'll send Boomer out. And Boomer standing there with everybody was around him, and they'd literally take Boomer and send him out to this uh, woman reporter. And she's like, 
no, this isn't, this isn't happening. So he gets called on the carpet. You know, yes, the, the league office is almost going to suspend him. And we're, in, we're staying in Seattle. And so Seattle, then we, we fly out to, to LA. He doesn't think he's going to coach the game. So we end up coaching the game. We end up winning the game in overtime and come in the locker room. Everybody's excited. And, and the way the locker room was set up, the press conference was just off to our right. And Sam shows up. He walks up. He's got a towel on to prove his point, right? Women in the locker room. It's very uncomfortable. He's got a towel on. And he's standing there. He whips the towel off. He's wearing a pair of gray shorts. He goes, were you, what were you going to think? You didn't. That was a little uncomfortable. And this is the way it is. It shouldn't be. Obviously, that's changed with time. Sam was, he was unique and, and different and funny and, and wicky wacky probably was <laughs> appropriate at times for him. He was just an interesting guy, interesting guy who was unbelievably creative. And, uh, you know, he made, he made it fun to, you never knew what you're going to, never knew what to expect with Samurai. I can tell you that. Yeah. He definitely stood his ground. I think he ended up getting fined, not suspended by the NFL for, uh, not allowing female reporters in the locker room. And by the way, that whole, that, that set when the Seattle Seahawks game in Seattle on that Monday night, uh, people think they get hit with bad schedules. The Bengals had to play five straight road games that season. And that game in Seattle was the start of it. Played at Seattle, at Los Angeles, at Houston, at Cleveland, at Atlanta. Uh, now three road games is the max. So, and, and that's five. So it's kind of crazy, but back to Weiss real quick. I will say there's two stories that you have told me kind of throughout my childhood that kind of stuck with me. And then, you know, Sam probably on the wrong side of history with the female reporter thing. But I think one part where he was on the right side of history is that, you know, you, you, I think you told me once that he, really wanted to see positive race relations in the locker room. Uh, and, and, you know, especially with everything that's going on right now in the civil unrest and, and what we had happen in Minnesota is that he wanted, you know, all his black guys on the team and the white guys on the team to kind of be best friends. And he was all about that team chemistry. And, you know, you can take it from there and just. Well, I think to back up, our, that was the 88 season. So 87 season was a terrible year for us. We go five and 11. Sam and Boomer get into it over us sitting in front of a bus, him sitting in front of a bus. And they're in the newspapers going back and forth. I mean, like little kids, Paul Brown had to step in and tell Sam to stop talking to the, the newspapers. It was ridiculous. So on that note, we come to the 88 season and he decided he was going to have a black guy and a white guy and, and an offense and defense too. So it wasn't just your, you want it because a lot of times the offense kind of does their thing. The defense does their things. And you don't have a lot of inter, you know, intermixing at that. But now he did it from offense to defense too. So you had an opportunity to get uh, from a racial standpoint and from a position standpoint to get to know guys. And to this day, you talk to guys, they think it was one of the greatest things that he did. I mean, guys, we already had a pretty close team as it, as it was. I ended up with Eddie Brown as my roomie. And, and Eddie wouldn't say two words the whole time. And then when we had the 50th anniversary a couple of years ago, I see him goes, Rumi, how you doing, buddy? And I'm like, this is more words you said to me. And then the whole thing goes, I know I was always tired. I just wanted to sleep. So it worked out great. I mean, some of the guys have really, I mean, it's, it really opened up opportunities and conversation. I think that you don't normally get. And from that standpoint, it was great. And we were a very close team that year and it, it showed. I mean, we go all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it's funny that Eddie Brown was your uh, roomie because, you know, Eddie Brown at that time, he's in his mid-20s enjoying NFL life. On the other hand, you're like 33, you have six kids. You're <laughs> telling him about dad life, and he's just like, man, I don't care, but I'm going to bed. I don't need to hear yeah. about the kids, all the kids. That was, pretty much, that was pretty much with Eddie. He was just saying, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. That's hilarious. And then another Sam White story I, I love because it really takes you back to kind of the glory days of the NFL when coaches hated each other. And, you know, like, I know that Belichick is probably the closest thing we still have where you know there are teams he doesn't like. You know, they didn't trade with the Jets for 20 years until they finally made a deal. You know, he has that passive aggressiveness, uh, but it's not as vocal anymore. And so one of my favorite rivalries was Bengals-Oilers and, and Jerry Glanville, the coach of the Oilers, Sam Weish, they hated each other. So 1989 – the Bengals and the Oilers are playing each other. The Bengals are winning this game 58 to 7. 58 to 7. 
And Weish calls a timeout with under a minute left so that they can, Bengals can kick a field goal to cross the 60 point mark. I mean, this is not, this is running up the score. This is, this, this crosses every Don't single the charge. You're right. You're right. And so my dad has to go out and kick this field goal with under a minute left in the fourth quarter. Uh, with his team up 58 to seven. Tell me, like, just what was that whole situation like? I was embarrassed. <laughs> I was embarrassed to go out and do that. But Sam, just to back up a little bit, we, we on, onside kicked like five times in that game. They had an alignment that left a, a gap between the, like the 20 and 30. And we were just onside kicking. We, I think we recovered like two or three of them. So we kept onside kicking. We were up over 50 points and we were onside kicking. So it was nuts. So we get out there and he calls timeout and I go out and Brian Blados comes and goes, Hey, Breacher, watch your back, man. They are pissed. They are pissed. So I, and then in the afterwards, somebody was interviewing Sam and he goes, Jerry Glanby or that. He's a despicable human being. So I don't, I don't know, but I did, I did in 2004. I went to Iraq and visited the troops and Jerry Glanville was on that trip. And I, and he didn't hate Sam. That was the thing. Sam hated Jerry, but Jerry didn't hate Sam. I said, coach, what is it? Tell me, what is it? What is it that Sam hates about you so much? He goes, I don't know. I know. He goes, the only thing I can think of is I was coaching quarterbacks for the Detroit Lions and Sam was one of the quarterbacks. I had to cut him. He goes, that's the only thing I can possibly think that would make, would anger him. But so we, he loved to, gosh, he loved beating Jerry Glanville. It was unbelievable. He just had a, literally a hatred for, for the man. And, and if we could have scored a hundred, we'd have scored a hundred that day. Yeah. And to uh, tail off that story, you did make the kick. The Bengals got to 61 to this day. That is the most points they've ever scored in franchise history in a single game. And, and as for your onside kick story, I'm, I'm reading the, the, the post, the, the story from the New York Times from 1989. Boomer Esiason throws a 74-yard pass in the third quarter to Tim McGee that puts the Bengals up 45 to nothing. The Bengals follow up with an onside kick up 45 to nothing. They recover it, score a touchdown to go up 52 to nothing. So that is the total insanity of, uh, the, you know, Sam Weish's wild character. And I will say, you know, you mentioned a lot about him, but you know, the fact of the matter is we already talked about how innovative he was. He led the Bengals to the last playoff win in 1990, that January 6th game against the Oilers, uh, ironically enough. And you know, you were the last Bengals player to score a point in a Bengals playoff win. Did you know that? I did because you, you wrote about that a couple of years ago. Otherwise, and you told me I had no idea. I had no idea that was the case. And that's really unfortunate, isn't it? I think the Bengals are the the last team to go farther back than any other team as far as winning a playoff game. I think Buffalo's in 92 or something, a year after, a couple years after. After their run of of, uh, Super Bowls, I don't think they've won one since. So that's that's one I think that I'd like to see them overcome at some point in time. You know, from a trivia standpoint – there's two of us, myself and Anthony Munoz, are the only guys to have played in every Bengal playoff win. Well, that's, that's a good one. Crazy. I didn't have that. That, that is crazy. Um, yeah, and that goes way – that's too far back, too. I mean, it's just the whole thing. They've, they've got to – they're going to turn – I feel they're going to turn it around. I believe they're going to turn it around. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, because I think fans have waited long enough that that win came in January 1991. You mentioned the Bills. That is – the third longest out of playoff win, the Detroit Lions haven't won one since the 1991 okay. season. And then the Browns haven't won one since the 94 season when Belichick was their coach. Uh, so there have been, there, there are a couple droughts, but those are the only three teams in the NFL that not have, have not won a playoff game this century. The Bengals, Lions, Bills, and Browns. Not, a, not, not an ideal list. <laughs> All right, dad, we are going to take a quick break and then. <clears throat> We're going to come back and we're talking about the playoffs. We're going to talk about what the ceiling is for the Bengals in 2020, what the floor is. Could they win a playoff game or could they end up with the number one pick all over again? Uh, let's take a quick break. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Welcome back. And, uh, yeah, we have been talking about the Bengals, what they've done this offseason. Uh, they have a new quarterback. There is some hype with this team. Everyone in Cincinnati is excited. Dad, how excited should they be? We're going to talk about what we think the team's maximum potential is. Uh, but what's their floor? How bad could they be if things go wrong? Could it end up like last season? So I'll start. Let's start on a high note here. What do you think the ceiling is for the Bengals? Is it a team that can surprise people and get to the playoffs, or is maybe just getting to 500 should be what they the ceiling? The ceiling to me is is the playoffs. Um, and I, I, from the standpoint of they have a solid offensive nucleus to begin with, and there's a lot of teams out there who love to have 2,000 yard wide receivers, a thousand yard rusher, and there aren't many of them. The, the drawback being that you have a rookie quarterback. However, he seems to be pretty exceptional. He's, and if he plays pretty well, I think they have a chance. I think their offense is going to be really good. And the changes they made on defense, I think they've really solidified a defense, made them very tough. Uh, the difficult is, difficulty thing is that the AFC North is really good and they could be really good this year and, you know, win five or six games. But I think the ceiling is is the playoffs. There's always a few teams that don't do as well as you expect, and there's always teams that do better. Uh, I, I don't see there's any chance of them being in the first pick again. I think they're uh, they're too good for that. They're really a pretty talented team, uh, but they just have to stay healthy, and that's true with anybody. And they that's where they really struggled the last few years is their health. They've lost a lot of key players, and their depth just hasn't worked out. So, in your most optimistic projection. What is their final win total for 2020? Optimistic nine. Like two, I'm going to go back to 2011, similar circumstance, young guys, and they won nine games. I'm going to say nine. That team did go nine and seven. So, all right, opposite side of the spectrum, what is your most pessimistic prediction for this season? What, what If just the wheels fall off the wagon, uh, how many wins does this team end with? Five. Oh, I think they're they're over under in uh five and a half. Over, right? uh, yeah, it's it's right there. And if you think that's the worst case, uh, you know that's I do. A, a lot of wiggle room. I, I think they're I think they're pretty good. Uh, and again, I mean they they they've lost they lost players. They they at one point about three games in the season they were starting their fourth tack left tackle. Fourth, I mean teams don't even carry four tack four left tackles. <laughs> They had to bring somebody in just to be able to play tackle for him. So from that standpoint, you got Jonah Williams and he's always been a healthy guy and he hurt his shoulder. If he, you know, comes back and stays healthy, uh, I think that's going to make a huge difference. Age uh, and AJ. So those two, two guys that can make a world of difference for that offense. Yeah. And for me, I think a big part of this, cause I do agree with you. I think their ceiling is the playoffs. You do have surprise teams 
that come out of nowhere. And the Bengals, you know, I mentioned that 0-8 record in one-score games. Literally, NFL one-score games are a coin flip. It's where one thing goes against you. And to have it happen eight times, you know, if you just win 50% of those one-score games, all of a sudden the Bengals are a 6-10 team. Uh, well, then they don't have Joe Burrow, but that's a different story. But it, it is. So the talent is there. And now they they upgrade at the quarterback position. So it's how fast can they adjust? And I really think, you know, this season, whether or not they get to eight or nine wins, comes down to the first two weeks of the regular season. Because they play the Chargers and the Browns. And I think those are two very winnable games. I think they could come out of that 2-0. But they could come out of that 0-2. And I don't think anyone would be surprised. Uh And so it, it really... You have two winnable games to open your season. If you win them both, all of a sudden, everybody in that locker room is believing in Joe Burrow, is believing in this revamped defense, and maybe you ride that wave to nine wins. So I think that, uh, you know, I don't want to deflate every fan season if they come out of the gate starting 0-2 and, and lose games like 30-27 to and 24-21 or something. Uh, but I think that that's it right there. Those are the two key games. I don't think that for every team. You know, obviously you want to get out of the gate fast, but I think with mm-hmm. a young quarterback – uh, and a revamped defense, you want to prove right away that, hey, we're not last year's Bengals. We're not the Bengals that people have been beating up on for the past four years. Uh, we're, you know, we're the new look Bengals. We can get to the playoffs. Yeah, I look at the, char- the Chargers game. They're probably a little bit similar to the Bengals, and they had some injuries last year, and they had four wins. Um, the difference is they, they're not going to have Phillip Rivers. They're going to have Jacoby Brissett, I would imagine, starting the first game. Now, Justin Herbert might end up doing that later. And their defense is getting some guys back. So they're going to be really strong in some areas. They're going to be better than what I thought, I think, what they were last year. And I think Cleveland, just some stability at, at head coaching, I think is going to make a huge difference because they've got a lot of talent. So, yeah, they need to get out. I think you always want to get out into a quick start. But there's going to be games, one, that are going to be unexpected. You just It happens every year. And then when you win some games unexpectedly, then you start building some confidence. And I think you can, you, know, you can kind of piggyback on that. Cause I know our two Super Bowl teams, we weren't, we come off losing seasons, but yet we gained some confidence early with some wins. And then we kind of built from there. Yeah. And, and mentioning that is another thing that maybe gives Bengals fans some hope. The, uh, the 1980 Bengals went six and 10, turned around and went to the Super Bowl the next year in the 1981 season going 12 and four. The 1987 Bengals, that was a strike year, went four and 11, uh, then turned around the next year and went 12 and four, kind of similar that we saw the 49ers do the past two seasons. Their horrible record in 2018 made the Super Bowl in 2019. So definitely something that's possible. Dad, I thank you for uh, coming and talking some Bengals football. I mean, this is what we do anyway in all our text messages. So now we're just, <laughs> we do. just switching forums here. Uh, so happy early Father's Day. Thanks so much for coming on. And hopefully uh, we'll have you on again in January after the Bengals in their playoff drought. That would be outstanding. And happy Father's Day to you, too. All right. See you guys. Check out the podcast thread for uh, your surprise NFC North team that we come later today. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.